Hello, my name is Naranjan, the host of Master of Your Crafts podcast. Learning from leaders who are continuously inspired, passionate, and driven to align with their soul purpose, sharing their gifts to bring healing to others. The music is composed by Rebecca Everett. Today is episode number 69, and I'll be talking to Sarah Hosey, an author of two young adult novels, Ephigenia Murphy called one of 2020's best, and Imagining Elsewhere, which Kirk has described as an interesting take on power, bullying, and fear. She's also written a novella, Great Expectations, and a short story collection, which is coming out in 2024. Sarah grew up in Queens, New York, an area that might be described as urban suburbia, and lived in Washington, D.C. and in Wisconsin, where she once stayed for a while on an island in the middle of a lake with only a very brave cat for company. She is now back in New York where she lives with others, less adventurous cats, a dog and her family. Hello and welcome to Sarah. How are you, Sarah? I am wonderful. How are you today? I am great. Thank you for asking. I want to delve into this conversation about planning. How did you plan to write the books that you have written? It was definitely a journey. And I think that um, I was, I I, I do believe that we all kind of have a calling or there's something that we want to do and maybe really, really deep, deep down on the inside, we know that we're called to do. And often that's really scary and it's not something that we actually ever do do. I feel as though um, my own personal journey has been one that I have always been a creative writer. I've always wanted to write creatively, but that I put that side of myself away for many years to pursue other things. Uh, and that's not necessarily something I regret in that reflecting on the books that I'm writing now. Um, I don't think I could have written them at other points in my life. I wasn't kind of prepared, whether that's emotionally or intellectually or just spiritually to, to do the work that I'm doing now. Um, and so not that everything has been a preparation, but that in some ways, finally being able to rise to that calling was certainly something that had to happen gradually. So I began my career really, you know, I, I, again, I wanted to be a creative writer, even, you know, back when I was a child, I had written a little book about a very thinly veiled character who uh, was clearly just me <laughs> with kind of a better life. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would dabble over the years. So like in college, I took a creative writing class and I actually got really interested in playwriting. But again, I put that to the side when I went to grad school and I went to grad school to do a PhD in American literature, which was incredibly satisfying and um, 
you know, I, I also, grad school was no picnic. There were many problems and troubles and it was probably actually the lowest point in my life, <laughs> those years of graduate school. But I certainly did, I feel as though, develop as a person and I developed as an academic writer. So I learned really, I think, how to communicate effectively on paper during those years. And it was only much later after I was finished with graduate school, I was a professor, I had started a family that I turned back and I pivoted back to creative writing. And part of that is something I've really been thinking about a lot lately uh, was a result of kind of really just becoming aware of my own mortality. I think having children for me was a real, uh, it was wonderful, but it was also sort of a wake up in the sense that I I had to be very, very careful with my time um, because I it wasn't abundant anymore as it had been previously when, even though, you know, when I was in grad school, I was working two jobs and I was going to class. I was also spending a lot of time like partying or hanging out and not <laughs> doing work. Mm -hmm. Having children, all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, if I am going out to lunch with a friend today, I have to pay for childcare and I'm also not doing my paid job. Mm -hmm. When am I going to write? Right. Like, so that lunch date has to be canceled unless that friend is really, really important. Right. It's going to really sustain me. I found that, you know, I really had to prune out people from my life that were the ones, you know, became really easy to identify those, those folks who suck the energy out of, out of your life, as opposed to those who add energy and that you leave smiling and, and looking forward to your next time together. Mm -hmm. But what I'm getting at is, is really that I began to prioritize and to say, for example, if I want to write creatively, I, I can't put it off anymore. Now's the time. Um, hopefully life is long. If we're lucky, life is long and healthy. Uh, there's mm -hmm. no guarantee of that. So you really have to get started right away. If there are things that you would like to, it's not even about achievement, because I would say that while it feels great to be published, my experience of writing is really that it allows me to get into that flow state that studies have shown is so instrumental to happiness, right? Mm -hmm. Having that thing that you love, that when you're doing it, you kind of, your cares fall away and you're able to really immerse yourself. And I think that again, while, especially as a writer or any kind of artist, I think you do need to share your work mm -hmm. with an audience. I think that's really important, but that's not necessarily what makes the creative act so satisfying. It's actually the, the work itself that um, that winds up being so rewarding. So would that be more about the process of what it is? Absolutely. It to be? Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, if you can find that thing, mm -hmm. that that the process itself is an end in itself, mm -hmm. then then you are so fortunate. Right. And if you yeah. can find that thing that the process itself is a reward and you can do that and and I hate to make it about money, but if you can afford to yep. to live and to do that, that is, again, I think that's kind of incredibly lucky. Right. That's the opportunity to really take advantage of your surroundings and the gift to have that opportunity because not everybody does. Like you said, there are many people out there who 
need to work a nine to five job that doesn't bring them as much joy or whatever because they have bills to pay and all that kind of stuff. So the realism of life too, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you feel are some of the key attributes that align you to not only prepare and enjoy that process of writing and creativity and creation? So I, I really have always been um, the kind of person or I'm thinking about even in my early days in school or when I my parents would make me go to church with them. I was a daydreamer. I've been a daydreamer. I think that that's both maybe a skill and a weakness, <laughs> a weakness in the sense that I often um, until later in life, I was not a wonderful student because I really was much more interested in the story that was in my head than whatever the teacher was trying to communicate. Um, and so I think that that part of me uh, is something that I was able to harness, right? So that mm -hmm. instead of it being a liability, it has become something that has really benefited me because my, my question, I think in many, like throughout the day in various encounters, I often, will be tempted to follow my own like white rabbit of what if, you know, like mm -hmm. what if this had happened instead of that? What if on, on the way to, you know, pick up the, the, the groceries today, um, I had this terrible encounter or this wonderful encounter or mm -hmm. kind of just kind of coming up with the scenario. And then sometimes when those scenarios are intriguing enough, I want to continue following them. And then I follow them and I follow them and, and then we have a story and then we have a character and then we have a narrative that, um, that when I'm most productive or not productive, uh, um, there's a couple of things that I've worked on that it feels almost like falling in love. I mm -hmm. think about these characters or these scenarios like all the time, you know, and I, I'm, whenever my brain has a minute to be downtime, I'm like, Oh, I go back to that, that story. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, again, I, I think while that could have been a distraction uh, in parts of my life, now it's something that I'm able to indulge. What a beautiful analogy of witnessing and having something so top of mind and so ingrained and so captive, like a fresh love or an encounter on an engagement that really captures your attention, that nudges you to explore a little bit more and stay with that feeling and stay with that energy. Beautiful. Thanks. What's your intentions? Why do you want to do this? To, to write? Mm -hmm. I, I really do believe as a reader that um, through art, we become, and, and I'm kind of paraphrasing an, another author here, but we become mm -hmm. less alone in an otherwise often isolating and alienating world. And that when you find a piece of art, whether that's a visual art or a novel or a poem that resonates with you, um, it can be such an incredibly affirming experience. So both as a reader who is always looking for art to kind of fill that need within me, I also want to provide that for others. Um, so 
right now, most of my work, my published work is in young adult fiction, which I'll just say, interestingly, again, as I mentioned earlier, I don't know that I was equipped, even though I'm older now and I, you know, I'm not of that demographic. Um, I think that the themes and the experiences and the ideas that I'm trying to dramatize, uh, I really couldn't have grappled with when I was younger. I really had to kind of not be part of that group anymore before I could make art from from those mm. experiences. And then I also do write fiction for adults. I have, it's it's like two years off. I have a collection of short stories coming out. Um, but that fiction too, while it, it tends to be a little bit more grim in some ways and some, it's a little less hopeful than some of my young adult work, um, I, I hope will resonate with people. I hope that people will read it. And even if it doesn't reflect their experiences, that they will recognize something kind of human about the work that uh, is affirming to them. I had that experience recently reading a short story collection by an author named Cara Blue Adams. And just every story that I read, again, it wasn't doesn't have to be exactly about me, right? It doesn't have to be your exact experience, but every story I read, I just wanted to like call her, I don't know her, but I wanted to call her up and be like, that was awesome. That was a great reading experience. I was entertained and involved and moved. And I feel like I know these characters and I feel like I know more about the world and myself after having read it. And I did actually reach out to her just kind of, I, I guess it was maybe on Twitter, but there was some sort of messaging that I, I just said, I just want to let you know, I really love this collection. It really knocked me out. And she was very gracious and was happy to hear from me. And it's interesting because I often do, when I have an experience like that, I always mean to contact the author or the creator yes. to say like, well done. Somebody out there is really happy that you've done this work because so often we do forget to do that. And I That's think right. that as a writer, I know how, how um, lonely it can be sometimes to not know that your mm -hmm. words are, are having that effect. I would imagine even with the podcast, you might have a similar, I'm mm -hmm. sure there's people listening who love your work, but they're not necessarily going to get on the computer and let you know, they're just going to listen and appreciate, but maybe after today, they'll, they'll send you a line. <laughs> Let's hope so. Let's hope so, Sarah. Thank you. And you're right. Often we, it's reaffirming, it's nice to receive an acknowledgement of gaining that aha from another individual of anything that happened because especially in what you're doing in the written word where it's created and it's put out there to the world and it kind of gets its own legs, if you will, because you don't know what really happens to it. Whereas you're walking through a grocery store, you're in a restaurant, you're walking down the street and you smile at somebody. Most of the time, the smile is reciprocated. So that's our instant acknowledgement that, okay, they receive it and I receive it. Whereas with something like the written word of this, it's kind of can get a little bit lost unless there is a more affirmed connection. And I think that's also part of the risk of being a writer it is misinterpretation, right? And I, and I think that, of course, everything you write is going to be, I mean, once you put it down and put it out there, it doesn't belong to you anymore. So make of it what you will. But there will be certainly people who kind of don't get it or take it the wrong way or object. Um, mm -hmm. And that's beyond your control at that point. You have to just yeah. kind of hope it reaches the people who want or need it um, and that everybody else maybe just lets it go. That's right. But that's to a certain degree, that's all parts of life, right? 
you know, with the example that I even just shared, smiling at a stranger down the street, my intention is to spread a little bit more love and joy from an authentic place, not from a malicious place by of course you know smiling or at somebody and they think that the you're interested way. romantically in someone which of course could be a misinterpretation right Th- that's right yes yeah, so but I truly believe when it comes from an authentic place it has its own power and it has its own um, energy connected to it that if they're open to receive it they'll receive it in that way right? I think that's what we have to do <laughs> You know, we yeah. have to believe that um, because that's what else are, are you going to do? You know, that's right. Absolutely. With the journey that you've had from the academic world, a very left brain, masculine driven, structured, formulated and and all of those components that are um, not as creative, let's put it that way. And as it reflected the shift in your own life from being more creative, starting a family in itself is an element of creation and now moving into fiction and and really harnessing all those characters and delving into their lives and creating and nurturing on on many levels, but really the same level because it's the same skill set to a certain degree. What has that taught you to believe about yourself? You know, I have a lot of a lot of different ways that I would love to to tackle that question. It's a great question. And the first thing that I, I want to say, and this is something that uh, I'm learning every day, uh, is that I'm still learning about myself. Do you know, like, I think that there's this idea or perhaps I had this idea when I was younger that I would get to be a certain age and I would be who I was and I would understand who that was and I would have certain ways of talking about that. Um, Whereas instead of what I found is that especially as I've gotten older, I'm much more, um, I'm no longer surprised to be surprised (laughs) when I, discover new things about myself. So for example, I think I I used to really believe that everyone was kind of just like me, but just didn't necessarily talk about it. So for example, I have a very, um, one could say maybe even a typical relationship with the security blanket that I had as a child. I Mm -hmm. loved that security blanket. I kept it through college. I still have it to this day. And it was only recently that I began talking to friends on the spectrum and finding out that this kind of tactile stimulation, I'm not necessarily identifying as on the spectrum, but I would say Mm -hmm. it is something that neuroatypicals often do really, um, uh, it's something they embrace at a much higher rate. And I used to think that it was just that other people's blankets were taken by their parents or that maybe I was extra insecure and that's why I needed a blanket. Actually, I just need that tactile stimulation. And that's something that, you know, even if I'm wearing kind of a, a nice sweater, I'll find myself kind of doing this with my fingers, uh, rubbing my fingers together. And um, I tell that story just to kind of put into perspective the idea that I thought I had that solved. I thought that was just, again, insecurity mm-hmm. slash other people just um, had pa- meaner, meaner parents than I did. Whereas now I'm like, well, maybe this is actually a reflection of some other needs that I have that are not negative or positive, but just make me a little bit different than other people. Um, 
for example, my own children never seemed to need a lovey like that, right? Mm. I always thought it was kind of just a universal thing. And I was like, oh, okay, well, they, they, they like their stuffed animals, but they didn't need them the way that I needed this blanket. Right. Um, and again, I would say that I, I, I'm constantly kind of better understanding. And I don't know that that's a journey that's ever over. I think it's something that we uh, go through throughout our lives. And I think that we change throughout our lives and, and who we are and what we need changes. So you earlier asked about planning. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I do think that having at this point in my life, and this could change next week or next year, but at this point in my life, being really structured and doing a lot of planning allows for creativity. Mm -hmm. So kind of really kind, uh, you know, having a very clear sense of my day, my week, my month, my goals, um, how I'm going to spend my time and energy each day is really important to me. Sometimes I worry a little bit that I've become kind of inflexible. I'm not very spontaneous. I, I was just joking with a friend the other day that I'm so glad she's still my friend. She's a wonderful and vibrant person, but she can never get me to like stay out late with her or like she she'll try to say, come on over. We'll, we'll, you know, have dinner and sing karaoke. And I'm like, no, no, I'm in bed. I got to go to bed. I'm getting up early tomorrow for this, that, and the other thing. You know, I have a very structured life. Again, right. she might say too structured, but right. that kind of structure where I am now is what allows me to say, all right, I have an hour of writing time today. I've carved this out. I have my other responsibilities are accounted for and will be taken care of or are taken care of. And that's how I can make the time to take my brain and allow it to be creative for an hour, as opposed to trying to write while I know that I also have to run out and pick up the kids. And I also have to, you know, order the groceries for my parents. And I, I also have the dog to parking, you know, if I am able to really plan and structure um, in a, in a productive way, I can, I can turn off the rest of the world for a little while and really concentrate on what I want to be doing. Mm -hmm. Has that defined who you've become today? Is in this is who I am today, Sarah? I don't, I don't think so. Actually. I think that um, maybe I resist that a little bit in the sense that uh, we're all different people in our different contexts, you know, like I'm mom, yes part of the day. And that's a beautiful identity that I really enjoy. And part of the day is I'm professor. And that also defines me and, and who I am and what my values are and what's important to me. Sometimes if I'm lucky, part of my day is writer. And that could be that I'm sitting in front of my computer, or it could be that I'm speaking to someone like you or doing a reading or mm -hmm. on social media, doing marketing for a book, right? Which is yeah. part of that writer identity. I'm a partner, you know, that's, mm -hmm. that's also part of, of who I am. I also, because I am a, kind of a, I don't know what I am. I'm a hustler. I like to do a lot of stuff. I'm also, I recently became a real estate agent because oh, wow. I love real estate. I know. Thank you. Okay. I, I just, <laughs> it's um, just something that I recently did. So I, that hasn't actually become part of my identity yet because it's still pretty new, but I would say that, um, in terms of defining myself, I think that I definitely want to allow for that kind of multiplicity within. Um, mm -hmm. And and probably if you asked someone who knew me well, they they would have a different answer. But again, that would depend on if you were asking one of my kiddos or if you were asking my partner, if you were asking one of my students, yeah. one of my friends. Absolutely.
But the most important piece is the relationship we have with ourselves, right? Based on how we see ourselves, how fulfilled we are, and how we get to truly be present and live the life that we want to live, that creates this space of not only fulfillment, but an excitement of showing and being the best versions that we can be. And I know that's an overused statement, especially over the last couple of years, but to really shine and carve out those elements that bring us all that joy. Those are truly the best parts, I believe, that we can witness for ourselves because I guess I'm a believer of people are going to think about you what they will. I'm never going to receive it nor take it because it's nothing to do with me, what you think of me ultimately, right? That is an amazing attitude. I think it's one I also strive for. I, I am not there yet. Um, I think that unfortunately, I'm still that person who is afraid that my smile will be misconstrued, right? That ah. that's unfortunately, I think I spend too much of my time uh, worried about misapprehension, misinterpretation. Well, going back to that analogy of being a child and thinking, when I get older, I'll have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. By no means I have I had it all figured out. It just means I've had some pretty interesting life lessons that have now put me in that space to go, what do you think of me is not my problem. I'm going to continue to do my mission and my vision and what I feel is leaving my mark on the world. It's a muscle that's built through experiences and through life lessons. And often trying things on for size, I think, is the beginning stages of that. Do I like that feeling? Do I not like that feeling? Perhaps the same analogy that you use in terms of building a character. Do I want to expand on that character or not? So while I say with about of confidence that what other people think of me is not my problem, good, bad, or ugly, rather than stay focused on my own mission and how I want to leave the world after I've left. But it wasn't an easy process is what I'm getting yeah. to. But also, it's an evolutionary process. A bit like the analogy you used for being a child, looking up at an adult going, I want to be like that and have it all figured out. It's the same process. Because I don't think there is ever any figure it out. I, yeah, well, and, and that life is surprising. And who, and who we are often surprises us. There's a wonderful short story by a, a writer named Kelly Forden uh, called uh, Superman at Hogback Ridge. And I don't want to give away the ending, but I will say that one of the things that I like so much about the story is that it's from the perspective of an adult man, a father, um, who perceives himself as someone who you might want to call on in a pinch. Um, and and there's a, another cast of characters and, and it, it's kind of a surprising ending and something is revealed about the dad, something is revealed about the son. Um, and I think that the point of the story is that we kind of don't know, we, we have this idea of who will be. 
-hmm. in various situations. Well, if someone said X to me, I would say Y, or if someone did this, I would do that. And then sometimes it's not until we actually experience those situations that mm -hmm. we find out exactly how, how we would react. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think that we are mysterious yeah. to ourselves. I applaud you for being able to be so focused on your goals and values and to say what other people are saying about me is not my business. It's, it's not, it shouldn't affect you. Um, I think we live in, unfortunately, a larger world in which, especially for women, we are told from a very young age that what other people think about us, especially the way we look, mm -hmm. uh, is of huge importance. Mm -hmm. um, and that we should be working really, really hard to keep other people in our lives happy. And I personally know that that's something that that's that's the legacy of my childhood for sure. I I I don't mind that. Like on some level, it would be hard for me to not be the person in the room who wants to make sure everybody's comfortable. You know, I if we are at a cocktail party and I see one person looking really unhappy, I. I won't be able to enjoy myself really, unless I feel as though everyone's comfortable, at least if I'm in charge of the party, I guess if it's sure. somebody else's party, I'm not going to worry about it, but um, I want to make sure everybody at the table is feeling good to a fault. Yeah. Um, and so that's something I do have to continue to work on. And frankly, being a writer and an artist has been, and a professor too, I would say has been quite helpful to the extent that I really, you really have to be like, you know what? I'm not going to read the reviews or um, there are some people who are just not going to like it. There's some people who are not going to like it because it's not their cup of tea. There are some people who are not going to like it because they identify, you know, re real and true problems <laughs> maybe mm -hmm. with the work. And there are some people who are not going to like it because they're mean and angry and this is what they spend their time doing. But then there are going to be the people who, who feel it and who like it and who love it. And again, it's not so much that you should focus on the people who get it, uh, but that you just have to recognize that those are all valid reactions to your work. And they actually have nothing to do with your heart. They have nothing sure. to do with you. They're about this external creation that you may feel really, really strongly about. Um, but still, it's, it's not me. You know, it's, it's not a personal judgment. It's a judgment of my work. That's right. Absolutely. And that's really important to, to recognize that it's just because you created it and regardless of what people think of it, it's more about if it fits, it's perfect. But you know in your own heart of hearts that the intentions behind the creation of your pieces and by staying true and staying strong within them, that fuels you even further to not stay out late and to stay <sighs> within that structure and to stay within that formula because your intentions is to have more creativity and to maybe spur that on to others who flip through the pages of your written word. That's, I think, is the true gift that you offer. And I, and I say that because there's a lot of time, there's a lot of energy, but I think we can often overlook our true intention of why we do what we do mm -hmm. from a very authentic, heart-centered space. 
It's easy to lose sight of it for sure. I think especially when there's so much other noise around what you're doing, right? And when also we start putting pressure on the work, mm-hmm. whether it's that we have to have a certain amount of reviews or likes or clicks or buys or whatever it is, now we're putting this pressure on it and we're losing sight of why we were doing it perhaps in the first place because we know if we do it a little bit differently, well, maybe we'll get more likes or clicks or whatever. That's right. But yet perhaps the true measure is your own satisfaction. I mean, you'd referenced earlier about it's more about being in that process. There's all the planning that can happen, but the curiosity, the mystery and the magic that unfolds in building this character and falling in love with them all over again, it's being in that process is where I think the true joy comes. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a writer by any means, so, but I do some creative elements and and it's in that process where I find my joy in that in that and the intention that is seeded in that I think has way more power than the clicks and the likes and the reviews absolutely and in fact I mean I get I referenced this earlier but there's several studies that show that if you have um, a passion if you have whether it's dancing or writing flying airplanes um, video games even uh, that allows you to enter that mental state of flow that folks who have that in their lives tend to report much higher levels of happiness at the same time I wouldn't be surprised if people who have thousands of Instagram followers don't necessarily report that as increasing their life satisfaction. Maybe it feels good to see how many hearts you get or how many likes you get in a moment. But I think in terms of that's a, that's a never ending pit and hole of, mm-hmm. <laughs> of mm-hmm. need, right. That I think right. it creates a need in itself. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, pit probably is right. The right word mm-hmm. used for that. So absolutely. I agree. So Sarah, what's next for you? You've created and published many books and you've got more on the way by the sounds of it too, being in that space. You have a very full life by the sounds of it, being a mother and you're a professor and you're a writer. And, and I hear also that there is some social activity in there, which is brilliant to hear um, with some friends and engagements. But, but what's next for you? Well, right now I am in the thick, I just had a book come out a couple of weeks ago. So I'm in the thick of kind of sharing that. And it's interesting because I think that um, as much, I I do really enjoy talking to and being with people. Uh, But as a writer, I enjoy writing. I don't particularly enjoy promoting. So I don't like kind of going out there, buy my book, buy my book. But I am trying to, look at it from a little bit of a different angle and looking at book promotion as an opportunity to meet people and connect with people and to share my delight at this, at this new creation. So rather than as kind of a a sales opportunity, I'm seeing it again as a sharing opportunity. And I think that that change in my perspective has made this process a lot more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, with my last book, you know, it was, I would get really kind of nervous and weird about like having to talk about my book, you know, like now it's mm-hmm. like, you know what, I would love to talk about my book. If you want to talk about something else, let's talk about something else. That's cool too. Sure. Um, I'm just happy to be meeting and sharing with people. So that's where I am right now. Um, 
And then I also just, I just keep writing. I just keep writing. Someone asked me the other day if I ever have writer's block I, and I hope I'm not jinxing myself, but um, I said, no, I don't have writer's block. I have not enough hours in the day to, mm. to get all my ideas down, which doesn't mean that even if I had all the hours in the day that I would perfect those ideas, but that I just, I, I'm, I have, I have a lot. There's a lot that I want to, to work on. I mean, I think on the one hand, I have a lot of energy for writing, but on the other, writing is tedious and takes a long time. You know, it really, it's not something that you can just kind of pound it out, at least not for me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yet, it, as we've discussed, this is a, not a labor that I, I, it's a labor that I love. So mm -hmm. I'm excited to, to spend some, some time in the next couple of weeks, really. I'm not teaching, I'll be writing my, you know, I'll be able to spend some time doing that. And um that's the immediate future. And, you know, longer term, as we've discussed, I really, I, one of the things I love about life is that you really don't know. You don't know, you know, if we decide to meet again in a year, yeah. how yeah. our lives will be different, you know, hopefully in, in beautiful and wonderful ways. Um, yeah. But that, that, it, you know, there's all sorts of other experiences and, and the, to have, you know, and, and I hope to have a lot of them. <laughs> And I, and I trust that you will, I trust that you will you. Um, to keep those creative ideas flowing and, and that sincerity of intention that you have to spark creativity and imagination in others as they read through your book. So what a pleasure. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing your stories, sharing your excitement and all the the beautiful aspects of this process of writing and what it's really like to to be you. So thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your very unique perspectives and takes on things. And I, I think you always, in each of your episodes, give us a lot to think about. Um, and I, even with this one, you've given me things now to mull over after our conversation. So I really appreciate that. You're so welcome. Thank you much. I'm Naranjan, and you've been listening to Master of Your Crafts podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review, and join me next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.